focus on love. The unconditional, unlimited agape is one of my favorite words. Agape, love of God. If you've never heard that word, it's a Greek word. There's a little bit of a history lesson. I know a lot of people have heard this before, but I want to give you a foundation if you've never heard this word, agape. The New Testament, most of it, the original language was written in was Greek. And there's so many words that you'll read in English that the original language carried a much deeper meaning for. And you see this in all languages. There's, there's, there's words in Spanish that mean so much more than their English translations. And unless you understand the root of this word and, and, and the, uh, what it means when you say it in its original language, you don't quite grasp the full concept of the word. And the same is true in the Greek language. One of the words in the Greek language that there are four separate words for that gets translated with one word in the New Testament is love. When you see the word love in the New Testament, it really, in that moment, means one of four things. It's talking about one type of four types of love. And these four types of love, uh, I'm just going to go down this pretty quickly here, is eros, stergo, phileo, and then agape. They each mean a different thing. But what's important about them is every one of these words, with the exception of agape, has limits and are based on conditions. The word eros is where we get the word erotic. And it is a word, a type of love, that is completely based in attraction and limited to attraction. The word stergo is based on the kind, a kind of a family love. It's limited. It's the kind of love you feel for your family, your mom, your dad, your brother, sister. But it's limited to that bloodline. And then the word phileo, it's where we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And it is a brotherly, sisterly type of love for a friend. But it is also a limited type of love. It is limited to mutual satisfaction. Mm. Once this relationship doesn't satisfy me anymore, once you've betrayed me, mm. once you have turned your back on me or moved away from me and started to ignore me, this type of love dissipates. It's limited. And then there's a fourth type of love in the New Testament, and it's translated, uh, the word is agape. And that is the type of love the way God loves you. And the difference between agape and eros, stergo, phileo is that there are no limitations in agape love. Yeah. There are no conditions that agape love throws at you. Agape love says, I love you no matter what you do to me. Mm. I love you no matter if you love me or not. I love you if there is no attraction. I love you if there is no bloodline. I love you. If you're not giving me what I need in this relationship. So you know this thing, that it, 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 this is the word I said I was going to use earlier. It's actually way more simple than the other three types of love. When you start adding rules and regulations, don't things get a little more complicated? Oh, yeah. Well, agape love, there's no rules. There's no complications. It's love that exists simply because it exists. God loves you simply because he loves you. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. Yes. Put a period on the sentence, a full stop. God loves you. Yeah. And that's good. It's actually really good news. And if we understood just that one truth, we'd walk around so much differently. Here's the thing about agape love. To love somebody else unconditionally or unlimited, you yourself have to receive that love from God. Yes. And you can receive salvation and never walk into revelation of what it means to be loved unconditionally. Mm. In fact, religion will tell you 
that there are moments in your life where God loves you left, less. The law will tell you there are moments in your life where you're not as in good of standing with the Lord. He's unhappy with you. He doesn't love you like that. He, he can't love what you are. But if we can understand a agape love and receive it, we can give it and give it away like never before. Amen. You've heard people say this before, and some of you maybe said this before. I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just talking. We're having a conversation. But you've heard this phrase, we're just not in love anymore. We fell out of love. I've heard people respond and say, well, that can't be true because real love, you don't fall out of that. But you, you do. There are three types of love that are real, but you can't fall out of. When attraction is gone, so is the type of love caught in us. When the bloodline is gone, there goes the type of love called stereo. When the satisfaction with the person is gone, there goes the type of love called phileo. There's only one type of love that you cannot fall out of, and it is agape. Because there's no condition. There's no condition that leads to you falling out of agape love. We're going to talk about Jesus today. That's a good person to talk about here at Christmas <laughs> and at church. We're going to look to his life today when he was physically walking the earth. Why? Because there's this awesome, awesome verse that we should live by in John chapter 14, verse 9, where Jesus replies to Philip. He says, Philip, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the Father? If you don't know the backdrop of this. Jesus has resurrected and, or Jesus still says, hey, we'll believe you are the Son of God if you show us the Father. That's what, that's what he says. And Jesus says, I've been with you for all these time, all this time, all these years. And you're asking me to show you the Father. He says, how could you ask me that? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. That's an important verse to remember. Jesus is saying, look at me if you want to know what God's like. If you want to see how God views you, look at me. If you want to understand how God treats you, look to me. Jesus was the perfect image of God. In fact, he was God, right? He was man fully. He was God fully. Amen. I love that song we just sang. The idea of God living as a man came naturally with the idea that he'd be the strongest man. That he'd be, the, he'd be the man that had the most physical power. The crown on his head would, would overthrow the government on, the, on day one. Doesn't the idea of God as a man, that does come natural, but, but that's not the plan that wasn't the plan. Jesus needed and wanted to become one of us, just like us, because there's nothing within us that he despises. You don't become what you despise. You won't see any earthly king giving up his power to become a peasant because they're all about that power. History, at least, tells us that. But Jesus said, there's nothing in you that I despise and I want to prove this to you. I'm going to become one of you. And he became one of us. And he lived for us. And he said to Philip, and he's saying this to you, if you want to know what I'm like, look, I'm sorry, he said, if you want to know what God's like, look to me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, what we see that's really interesting here, we see Jesus, and you look through his life, you see him walking in love, you can see what real love looks like, and, 
And, and, and if you need a definition, I love definitions. Just read 1 Corinthians 13. It tells you exactly what love is, what agape love is. That word in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. It says agape love is kind. Mm. It's patient. It's not jealous. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not boastful. This is my favorite one. It's not demanding. Come on. Agape love forgets when it's wrong. It's that simple. We try to complicate it. But what if I'm really wrong? Agape love forgets when it's wrong. But what if I'm going to have lunch with my best friend and she or he needs to hear about this thing I was wronged with? They got to hear about this. Agape love forgets when it's wronged. Agape, let's, let's, let's keep it simple. Agape love doesn't go tell everybody when it's wronged. Agape love forgets when it's wrong. Agape love weeps when it sees injustice. Agape love doesn't say, well, that may have been injustice, but he had it coming. No. Agape love is simple. Agape love weeps wow. at injustice. Agape love rejoices when the truth prevails. Good one. Come on, that's Come good. On. That's good. Agape love protects. Agape love trusts. Agape love perseveres. Agape love never fails. It's an awesome list. It's an awesome definition. And it's that simple. Well, yeah, agape love, love is kind, but what if, nope, nope, stop. Mm -hmm. Agape love is patient, but what if, nope, simple, it's patient. This came up with the disciples. What if somebody wrongs you, Jesus? Forgive them. What if it's 70 times? Forgive them 70 times. What if it's 70 times seven? 490, is that right? Mm -hmm. In one day, forgive them. You know what the next question would have been had Jesus stayed right there? What if it's 491 times? He would have said, forgive them. And they would have said, what about, but not 492. Yes, forgive them. Okay, okay, but hear me out. Hear me out. What if it's 493? Forgive them. It would have kept going. Because love is patient. And we see it in the life of Jesus. We see no limits in the way he loved. However, we do see him respond a little bit differently to different people. And here's something I want to focus on today. When people came to Jesus with the law, you see him respond to them with the law. That's right. It's crazy. I'm going I'm to explain that. And then when people come to him at the bottom of the barrel, knowing exactly who they are, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I can do nothing to save myself. We see him respond a little bit differently than he responded to the people that come to him with law. Now, that doesn't mean he's treating them any differently. Jesus died for every one of their sins. He was there living for the people that came at him with the law exactly the same way he was living for the people that came at him at the bottom of the barrel. But we can take a little bit of a lesson from how he responded to people. What really I think it is a good way to explain this, there's a verse in Psalm chapter 78. Uh, I believe it is Psalm 78, 41. Talking about the children of Israel, it says they turned their back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Some people would say it's heresy to say God has limits. And in a way it is, because God does not have any limits. He's unlimited. He can do whatever He wants. But He also is not demanding. Right. He doesn't do whatever He wants. Right. And in this particular case, it's talking about the children of Israel. I mean, God wanted to save them, send them straight to the promised land. 
but they limited him by, by not believing, by not remembering the way he brought them out of Egypt. And they ended up for 40 more years in the desert when God wanted them to go straight into the promised land. They limited him. And when you see people coming to Jesus with the law, I believe in a way it kind of limits the response he was able to give them. And I believe in our lives, when we want to live by the law, we are limiting the agape love of God from operating in our lives. I'm going to explain this and we're going to use the story here of the rich young ruler to start. I'm jumping around my notes a little bit instead of going straight down. So I had a scroll here. But in Mark chapter 10, we read the story of the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him, kneeling down in front of him. He cried out, good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments. Jesus had a little bit of insight into this guy's life. He went straight to the commandments. He said, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give a false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and your mother. This is a stark contrast to how he responded to other people. There was a man hanging on the cross beside him, a criminal. He was dying. He was literally nailed to a cross. There wasn't one more thing in life he would have been able to do. And he said, Jesus, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's right. That's right. This guy is not nailed to a cross. He's got freedom. He's got money. He's got power. And he says, hey, what should I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He doesn't say, well, you'll be with me in paradise. He says, what are the commandments? And he tells him, this man says to Jesus, this is some nerve here. Teacher, I've carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. Really? Every law? You've obeyed these laws since your youth. And here's a pretty, another kind of amazing reaction. Jesus says, it says, Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love. And he says, yet there is still one thing you're lacking. Go sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Then all of your treasure will be in heaven. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. Mm. He gets a really great invitation. Come be a disciple. But let's read between the lines. (laughs) He says, I've obeyed every commandment since my youth. And Jesus says, let me remind you of the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. That's right. He doesn't use those words. He says, well, you have a lot of possessions. Go sell them and follow me. And he says, ooh. Completely shocked. He turned and walked away. Very sad. He was extremely rich. He came to Jesus with the law. He came to Jesus with this pride that said, Jesus, look what I've done. What else should I do to be with you? What else should I do to enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, well, you want to come at me with the law? Let's talk about the law. Have no other gods before me. This kid says, I can't do it. In our own good, there's nothing we can do to earn this agape love. The other side of this is in our own bad. Once we have received Jesus, there's nothing we can do to lose this. We can get into that more too, and we will. But stick with me with this one here. We're going somewhere. 
He came to Jesus with what can I do instead of what have you done? Mm. This guy on the cross had nothing, not even a moment left of his life where he would have freedom to go do anything or make anything right. He didn't say the sinner's prayer even. But we kind of created the sinner's prayer. I, I love the sinner's prayer. It's a great prayer. But what, what must we do to be saved? The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. That's what we see this guy on the cross do. What can I do to enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, you'll be with me today. There's a verse. Here in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Peter's talking about respecting and loving each other within a church here. And he says, in the same way, the younger ones should willingly support the leadership of the elders. In every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant because God resists you when you're proud, but multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. You know what this rich young ruler did? He came to Jesus with his pride in his own works. He said, man, look what I've done. I know he was asking, what must I do to be with you? But he was kind of, it seems to me, like, Looking for that whole, like, oh, man, you're good kind of answer. What else should I do? Like, I've kind of done it all. You know, Jesus, uh, he probably, I think he expected <laughs> Jesus to say, oh, oh, you're there, man. You're there. <laughs> but listen, when we come with the law in any way, shape, or form, we are limiting what God can do in our lives. Hey, Lord, I've been good this week. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that you hear my prayers and and since I've been good, I, I feel the freedom to come to you and talk to you about these things. And, and maybe you'll listen to me and answer this prayer. And, and man, God's just saying, why are you coming to me within your own good? Forget all of that. Forget all of that. Because if you go to God talk about how good you are and you feel like he's going to hear you mm. because of your good behavior, then on the same hand, the next day, you are going to feel and believe that he doesn't hear you because of the mistake that you made. Mm. Come on. And when you're not looking to Jesus, you're looking to yourself. And when you're not looking to Jesus, Hebrews 12 says looking to him is actually how we lay aside what holds us back, which means not looking to him is how we move forward, or at least try to move forward with things that do hold us back. Mm. Whether it's sin, whether it's, uh, whether it's just wrong thinking, whether it's bad believing, you want to move forward with all that stuff holding you back, keep looking to yourself. But when we can get past our own pride, and we can go to the Lord humbly. Now, what does that mean? The world will tell you humbly means instead of the rich young ruler who says, hey, I've done all this since I was a kid. What else should I do to be saved? The world will tell you that going to Jesus humbly means, oh, I'm a lousy sinner. I know I've messed up so bad. Please, please forgive me. Please, Lord, don't, don't send holy lightning to strike me down. Please don't send this sickness. Please don't send disease on me. Please don't allow me to, to block whatever it is. The world tells us that is going humbly to the Lord. But the word tells us that going to the Lord humbly means going to the Lord based on who you are in Christ and who you are in the spirit. Amen. There's this great verse in Exodus. I know most of you heard me say this, but the verse says Moses was the most humble man on earth. And Moses wrote that verse. It doesn't <laughs> sound very humble to write that verse, but Moses was writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Which to me means that walking humbly means knowing who you are in the spirit and moving forward like that. John, the disciple, 
When, write, when he writes about himself in the Gospel of John, he always says this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It sounds like he was very full of himself. But remember, John was also writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John was writing in a very humble spirit. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you don't walk around thinking to yourself, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves, then that means you are not watching completely in a, in a humble spirit. Because you are. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you less because he loves you with an agape love that has no conditions. Amen. So there's no mistake that makes him love you less. And there's no victory that makes him love you more. He doesn't put the victorious on a pedestal and say, these are the ones who I love the most. No, Jesus was the only one who was raised up on a pedestal. And it was a cross. And he was lifted up on it. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when he was lifted up on that cross, now all men, all women have a chance to say yes to him and be loved by God as much as he was. And then he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When the rich young ruler came at him with the law, Jesus responded with the law. You know what it shows us, though? It shows us that even at our best, without him, it's still not enough. Yeah. He is what makes us right with God. Yeah. His spirit Becoming our spirit is what makes us have right standing. It's what makes us seated in heavenly places. And just like the rich young ruler who went to Jesus with pride in his own good works, who else did Jesus call out in this way? It was the religious leaders. Do you remember he called them brood of vipers? He never called the sinners brood of vipers. He called the religious people brood of vipers because they came to him with the law. And he said, you think you're obeying the law, you're a brood of vipers. Isn't that the opposite of what happens a lot today? Not this church, but I've seen churches go after the sinners and call the sinners brood of vipers. You're tearing this world down. You're burning our country to the ground from the inside out. You only heard Jesus talk that way to the religious people. That's right. Yes. There's a lot of people out there, Christians, just bent on calling out the sinners, the same ones Jesus just sat with Ooh. and had meals with. That's right. And what did the religious people do? They took their little viper heads up and said, you're sitting with the sinners, you're eating with sinners. We're going to church and you're going to the bar. <laughs> Call them out. But there's so many people who are calling out the wrong people. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's good. <laughs> but what about this? No, it's not complicated. Love isn't complicated. Agape love is simple. It loves no matter what. Yeah. Jesus called the religious people brood of vipers. There was a prostitute in the street. He dissipated the crowd and then he said, Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you either. Simple love. He didn't say, change your life and I don't condemn you. He didn't say, uh, repent of all your sins and I don't condemn you. He just looked at her in her mess and said, I don't condemn you. The ones he called brood of vipers were holding stones, ready to throw them and kill her. 
The woman with the issue of blood was at the end of her rope. She had done everything she could in the natural to heal this disease of, of, of constant bleeding. She had nowhere else to go. Jesus didn't even see her with his physical eyes. She just grabbed his robe and she was healed. He didn't give her any stipulations. He didn't say, oh, wow. Well, uh, you've already tried everything. Well, I'll heal you now. You've already spent all your money. I feel so sorry for you. Let me heal you. There was no questions asked. She was just healed. And if you want to talk about healing, there's this one crazy verse that says Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his own hometown. Amen. <laughs> God was limited within his own hometown because the people saw him and said, he's just the son of Joseph. He's not the Messiah. We know this kid. He grew up with our kids. We watched him, you know, play ball in the yard and we, 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 we knew his mom. And it says he was limited because of the way they responded to him. Right. If you want to come to God with the law, he'll let you. And even though his way is love, remember, love doesn't demand his own way. God is love, which means God doesn't demand his way. If you want to go to him with the law, you will be able to relate with him through the law. He will allow that. But Jesus came to give us a better way. Amen. He came to show us a better way. Yeah. Yes. There's nothing wrong with this. The law is good. It's positive. We should listen to it. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't commit adultery. These are wrong. These are bad things. They hold us back from walking in what God has for us. They have consequences. But as far as our relationship with God goes, it is this agape love. And once we receive Jesus, we have a chance to receive this unconditional love, this unlimited love, and then respond to Him and respond to the world with that same type of love. And it makes life remarkably more simple when we're not walking around trying to figure out who to be kind to and who not to be kind to. You stop creating teams in your head. Well, they're on this team and I'm on this team. Uh, they're on the liberal team. I'm on the conservative team. That's so good, I'm going to be Pastor. To them. Come on, Pastor. No, no, no. Love is kind. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, Pastor. It simplifies yeah. when to be patient and when to just blow up. Because it just chooses patience. Right. <laughs> it simplifies the moments when we want to, and I'm guilty of this a lot, I'm just being honest, uh, of being like, no, 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 here's the better way. Let me show you my way. It's way better. And love just isn't demanding. And love doesn't try to control. Even in a marriage, it's amazing. When you let your spouse just be who they are, it ends a lot of the strife in marriage. Amen. His law is love. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. The religious people said, hey, what's the best commandment? What's the most important one? What they thought would happen, what they were hoping would happen, was Jesus would pick one of the commandments and they'd be like, ha ha, you're wrong. They're all important. And just, if you look back at this history, these particular religious people had added so many commandments even to the word of God. I mean, it was, in, it was already impossible. It's impossible for every human to obey the Ten Commandments that most of us know by heart. These guys have added so many commandments. I'm telling you, we, I'm not going to get into it, but it was, it was insanity. And Jesus says to them, this is his answer. 
Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. Mm. And the second, like it in importance, you must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Mm. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. Jesus simplified the law. He fulfilled it, and he simplified it here. He said it himself. He says, love God, love your neighbor, and you'll see the fulfillment of all of these laws. He didn't say like, oh, don't worry about the law. It's, it's outdated. It's old. You don't need it. No, he didn't. He didn't just throw it out. He said, I'm going to show you a better way instead of focusing on every right and wrong and everything you do and coming to me with how can I be saved. Look to me. Love God with all your heart. Look to God. Look to me. Remember, he's the perfect image of the Father. Love me and then love your neighbor. And you'll see the fulfillment of the law. You'll find all the meaning of the law and prophets. It was revolutionary then. It's revolutionary now. Because we still in our flesh want to make everything about have I been right today or have I been wrong? Is this person right or is this person wrong? But love doesn't do that. Love just loves. God may love just loves. There are no limitations in that type. You've got to receive it for you before you can give it to anybody else. You have to in your own relationship with God, come to this realization that He loves me on my best day the same as He loves me on my worst day. Thank you, Lord. He loves me when I'm doing everything wrong as much as He loves me when it seems like everything I do is just a mistake. One after another. We've all been there. We've all been there. We all make mistakes. We all fall every day. But when we go to God, and hopefully we just stay in that place with Him. But when we go to Him, not through our own goodness or failure, but through Jesus, do you know He responds with love every time? Really, He responds with love every time, no matter what. But you're going to see it, and you're going to for yourself experience that love without limiting it, without putting a wall up. And saying, no, I don't want to receive that love right now. I'm going to remain here in the law. And I know I messed up. So instead of going to, to you, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to read uh, the Old Testament punishments for all these things I just did today. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> He's giving you free will. But he said, there's a better way. Just come to me. Yeah. Just come to me and know that my love is the same. And that's actually walking in true humility. That understanding. Because with that understanding comes this idea. It's not about me no matter what. It's about Jesus. Yes. That is God's humility. It's not about what I say I am. It's about who you say I am. That is humility. It's not what the world told me I am. It's what you told me I am. That's humility. It's not what my mistakes say about me. It's what the Word says about me. That's humility. It doesn't matter if your past was 10 years ago or this morning. <laughs> if you have said yes to Jesus, if you've confessed with your mouth, if you believed in your heart, 
true humility is going to Him knowing that His unconditional, unlimited, agape love for you is the same in this moment as it was the day you said yes to Him, as it was the day you were born, as it was the day He died on the cross for you, before you were even born. And when you can receive it for yourself, you can give it more freely than you ever have. And it is a revelation. And it will change your home. And it will change your thoughts. And it will change the place you work. And it will change your city. And it will change this country. And it will change the world. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen through history. And Billy Graham is an awesome example of somebody who I believe had a revelation on the love of God. And he could stand up in front of a crowd of 50,000 people and just talk about this revelation of the love of God. And, and you've seen the videos. Some of you maybe were even there. People would flood the altar. you got to receive it to give it. From whom much is forgiven, <clears throat> Who's forgiven much understands how to love much. Listen, we've all been forgiven of much. Every one of us. There's no greater sinner than me. And there's no greater sinner than you. You've done one, you messed up once, Jesus said you're guilty of all. That is humility. It's not about me on my best day, and it's not about me on my worst day. Agape love has nothing to do with actions. That's why it's unconditional. Godbe love has nothing to do with who you are, what family you're born in, how attractive, how right or wrong you are. It's just unlimited, unconditional. And today we celebrate the advent, the arrival of that love in the flesh yes. on earth. We sing yes. about Jesus. Yes. We sing about the baby son born in a manger. Earth's first moment with that perfect to God by unconditional love in the flesh. And it changed the whole world. And he's the reason we're here. And that love is the reason we're gathered right now. I want to encourage you. Next time you're tempted to go to the Lord with that thought of, hey, I've been really good lately. You're going to hear this prayer. Or the opposite. Ooh, I've messed up lately. You might, you know, your ears might be clogged right now. Like we have this idea that our sins clog the ears of God or something. Like, no. You're not clogging the Lord's ears. He doesn't look away from you in disgust. He looks at you through the blood of Jesus. Remember a few months ago we talked about that sacrifice they would make in the Old Testament, the sin offering. It's the perfect picture of what Jesus did for us. We'll close on this. We'll remind you of this. When, when the Jewish people would make their sin offering for the year to cover the sins that their family had committed, they'd bring a spotless lamb from their own flock. They'd take him to the priest. The priest would examine the lamb and say he's without fault if it was a faultless lamb, if it had no blemishes. Then the priest would, as a, as a symbol, symbolically, he'd put his hand on the head of the sheep, the lamb, he'd put his head on the hand of the, the man who brought the lamb. And it was symbol of the sins of that family transferring through the priest into the lamb. Then they would slaughter the lamb 
And it represented a sacrifice. Like the sins were being killed. They were being washed away by the blood of the Lamb. But the man would come knowing he was a sinner. The priest would not examine him. He'd examine the Lamb. And that is the picture of how God looks at you today. That is why the agape love of God works. That's why it's so simple. When we go to the Lord, we might be looking at ourselves, but he's not. He's examining the lamb. And he's saying, is the lamb, that's Jesus, still faultless? Yes. Tell me what you need. Amen. On your best day, you still haven't measured up. But God's still examining the lamb. And you go to him and he's saying, is the lamb still worthy? The lamb is still worthy. He's saying, he's looking at the lamb and he's saying, is the lamb still holy? He is. Let's talk. That's how he's able to love us so unconditionally. His love is based on the one condition that doesn't change. Jesus. And that's awesome. But like the rich young ruler, like the religious people, when we choose to go to Him, focusing on ourselves, we limit the way we receive that love. And if we limit that, we're also going to limit how we can give it. That's awesome. I want to love without limits. I want to love the way Jesus loved. I want to make it so simple. Because it's not complicated. There's not a time when love isn't patient. There's not a time when love isn't kind. There's not a time when love falls to jealousy or pride. There's not a time when love responds rudely. There's not a time when love remembers when it was wronged. There's not a time love rejoices at injustice. And there's not a time love doesn't rejoice when the truth prevails. There's not a time when love doesn't protect. That means love doesn't ever say, hey, you're on your own. Yeah. I've already tried to help you with this. Mm -hmm. You're messing up again. You're on your own. Yeah. Love protects. Love trusts. There's not a time. Love perseveres. There's not a time when love quits. Yeah. Love never fails. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then it might be banned to come up. And I think we have a really good chance here to respond to the Lord with just worship. And you know, so many times, if we truly come to Him, understanding about they love, and so many times those moments that in the past have looked like us focusing on ourselves, I'm so messed up, please forgive me, I'm so sorry for this, I'm so sorry for that. Do you hear me? Do you? Those moments will just turn to worship. Those moments will stop looking that way and they'll just turn and change into gratitude, into overflowing gratitude for this love. Isn't that good? My kids never don't expect to get fed if they've messed up. I mean, do your kids expect to miss a, like, are you going to send them uh, to bed hungry or are you going to tell them, hey, a week without food, you messed up bad this week? No, my kids know that breakfast, lunch, and dinner are coming every day, no matter what. And if I'm that good of a parent, how much better is our Father in Heaven? If you're that good of a parent, how much better is your Father in Heaven? It's just good. He's just really, really good. And He just loves you in a way you've never, ever been 
able to imagine fully. Hopefully one day, I don't know, maybe when the human brains are gone, the human limitations are gone, maybe one day in a million years from now, we will have some sort of understanding of how vast the love really is. For right now, we can look at Jesus. Because he said, if you want to see what the Father did, look to me. The only people we see him calling out right away. seemingly harsh with is the ones that came to him through the law. Not the sinners. We can take that with us. Apply it to your own life, but apply it to your own responses. I heard somebody say this once, and I believe it. Even if they don't admit it. Even if we don't admit it. We know right from wrong. Sinners know they're sinning. They don't need us to stand in front of them and say, this is where you're messing up, buddy. They need to be pointed to Jesus. Instead of calling people out, it's calling them up. Instead of pointing out their failures, it's pointing out what Jesus did. Instead of pointing out where they're failing, it's just showing them love. And it's not just like a hippie, weird idea that's not going to work. I mean, what's happening now isn't working. Let's be honest. When people meet the Holy Spirit, the Bible says He leads them to repentance. That's right. It's not your job to lead them to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit's job to lead them or yourself to repentance. That's in the Word. We just unconditional love today. That's not just a salvation message. This is a message for those that have already experienced salvation and those who haven't. But for those of you in here, a majority of us, I'm sure maybe all of us, have already experienced salvation. But I pray right now, God, for an understanding of what, as much as we can understand of what unconditional, unlimited love looks like, receive that and then operate in it. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's respond to the Lord with a moment of worship. Then I'll come up and close and invite our prayer ministers up. There's no better week to focus on this agape love than this week. The week of Christmas. This coming Saturday on Christmas morning, I hope that you somehow in a way share this, whether it's in word or action, with the ones you're around, with with your family, with your friends. We can make some good decisions to move forward to 2022, walking in love. Agape love, not the other one. Amen.